Good morning. It's good to see all of you today. Vicky and I spent the last couple of weeks in Utah on vacation. So we went to Moab, to Zion, to Page, Arizona, to Capitol Reef. I don't know if you know any of what I'm talking about. It's spectacular. It's just fun. We hiked over 10 miles a day for about five days in a row. It's about a 2,000-some-mile trip. I got home. I wanted to kiss the ground of Brookings. Yes. Finally home. I'm so tired of being in this car. But it was just a really fun trip. 85% good. Amen. That's good when you can talk about a vacation, right? Two days, not so good. But the rest was really good. So I'm not going to tell you what wasn't so good. You don't need to know that. Um, Anyway, God is good. Today we're on our last message of our series, Becoming the Body. Next week we're going to start a three-week Easter series. And then after that we're going to go into a spring series entitled Family Matters. We're talking about the church and understanding the church from a, a family kind of dynamic. The last several weeks we've been looking at the church from a body Uh, organism kind of standpoint, and then after our Easter series, we're going to look at the church from a relational family kind of uh, viewpoint. I'm excited about getting into that series at that point. The goal of our series this last winter, Becoming the Body, has been to become the people God intends us to be and part of the body that he desires us uh, to become. And today's message is on maximizing your walk in Jesus Christ. It's a great way to finish out this series of messages from the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Throughout the series, uh, I've been using a lot of analogies to the body. And today I'm going to use one more analogy. It's the analogy of exercising. Um, Studies have shown that exercising really doesn't extend the length of your life that much. Did you know that? They've shown that it really doesn't extend the length of your life. Some of you are going, yay, I'm going to go have some more dessert, right? But what it has shown is that when you exercise, your quality of life goes way up. And what they have found is that a person who is a rigorous exerciser, so to speak, will live a longer, more robust life and then just die. They don't have a lingering death period of 10 years. They, they have 10 good years, and then kaboom, you're done. I kind of like that idea. I don't know about the rest of you. I think about some of that, you know, anymore. But I'd rather go strong and then just, I'm done. I don't want to fade out slowly. I want to go hard and flame out. Amen? Just be done. So anyway, there's some merit to exercising, and that's not what this message is about at all. But what Paul's going to give us here in the scripture I'm going to read to you this morning is some ideas on how to maximize your faith so that you're living this robust, full Christian life. Do you want that? I want that. Amen. And so even though this is difficult scripture, man, it's full of just these really, really life-changing nuggets of truth. So let me read to you this morning our scripture. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Listen to what the Apostle Paul tells us here. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it, is, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Do you want to maximize your life in Christ? Does anybody want to have the most robust life possible in Christ here this morning? Then take to heart verse 12. We're going to read this verse out loud together. We're going to read it in an older version of the NIV from 1984. And the reason we're going to read it in that version is simply because I like it. And I like the way it says it. So what we're going to do is, is read um, out loud together right now, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. It should pop up on our screen for us. Read this with me, would you please? Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The Corinthians kind of had a saying in their culture, everything is permissible, and they were bringing that right into their Christian experience. And they were saying, we have liberty in Christ, we have freedom in Christ, we can do what, what, what we want and we're okay. And the Apostle Paul says, yeah, but not everything is beneficial, and you shouldn't be mastered by anything. So he was using their kind of little catchphrase, and he's saying, yeah, but there's these qualifications. Not everything is beneficial. And you're not to be mastered by anything other than Jesus Christ. So even if you're doing something that's technically okay, it's technically not a sin, but it's mastering you, and it's what you love to do, and it's all you're thinking about, that thing is enslaving you, and it's not a good thing anymore. Because the only thing you should be mastered by is Jesus Christ. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You should just memorize that. It's just a good scripture. Uh, strange wording, but as I said, Paul was speaking into the culture of his day. Now, here's what I take away from this scripture right away, this, this key verse. It's kind of obvious, I hope for you, and I hope it is for me. I know it is for me. Sin's not okay, right? It doesn't even make the list. It's not okay to stay in a sinful lifestyle saying, well, Christ covers my sin anyway, so I'm okay. And I can just continue to do this. We tend to do that more than we probably want to acknowledge. We do things that we know are wrong, but we're saying, well, Christ is going to forgive me, and he's going to overlook that. Well, that's obviously not okay. We who have been saved by Christ are dead to sin. Why would we live in it any longer, as Scripture says? Instead, we ought to be living with the Holy Spirit in us, and instead of sin mastering us, Christ should be mastering us, and we should begin to exhibit the things of the Spirit. I love this book by Steve Deneff called Soul Shift. And I've been thinking on this book a lot again lately. I don't know why. But I, I think it gives us good indices of what it looks like to be a Spirit-filled person. And so I want to just share some of his thoughts with you once again this morning. If you've never read this book, get it. We probably even have a few left over in our library, and you could talk to Pastor Dave <clears throat> and get one. But here's what he says. When you're, when you're born again in Jesus Christ, 
the first thing that should happen is some soul shifts. You, some, some orientation should change in your life. And there should be a soul shift of me to you. And what he means by that, what Stephen Neff means by that in the book is, you go from living life centered around who you are to living life centered around who God is. Amen? You have a soul shift. You shift from thinking life's about me to, to realizing life's about God and pleasing God. The second soul shift he talks about in here is that you move from being a slave, a slave to things like sin and immorality in the world, to being a child of God. You now see that I'm a child of God. I'm no longer under dominion of sin. I'm no longer under dominion of this world. Instead, I'm a child of God. And so now I'm going to live differently. You move from seen to unseen. You realize the world is not all there is. What we see doesn't comprise reality. There's this unseen world that compri that's comprised of God and, and his power. Amen? And you begin to acknowledge just this unseen part of life that's really, really important. Here's the one I think you really need to hear this morning. Listen to this. You move from consumer to servant. Did you hear that? A consumer says, church, how do you serve me? Do you have the right kind of music? Do you have the right kind of programs? Where our servant says, how do I come and, and serve this church? How do I use my gifts and my talents to promote Christ in this place? That is a humongous maturity leap for the follower of God, to move from consumer to servant. It's absolutely life-changing. And it's an indice, it's an indication that the Spirit of God is at work in you. You move from ask to listen. The ask is... It's more about you want to ask questions, you want to be in charge, to listen more, so I want to hear God's voice. I don't even know the questions to ask. I'm beginning to hear God's voice. Um, and then me to we is this, this idea that you move to others' orientation. The reason I like this book, Soul Shift, <clears throat> it gives some concrete indices of what it looks like to be a spirit-filled person. And oftentimes, I don't, want to, I don't want to put this down because it's super important, but in evangelical circles, we have made it a high place almost to say, if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're born again, and we make it all about the confession and saying the words, incredibly important. But this better be part of it. Because the Spirit of God then comes to live in you, and you're never the same. And if you're the same person doing the same kinds of things and you're not having any of the indices I just described to you, something's amiss. You need to go back and you need to really seek the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to be born again because when His Holy Spirit fills you, you some of this stuff will just begin to happen. It better, right? Amen? Right? You getting what I'm saying here? If you just confess Christ and you go living on in your sin and doing the same things you did exactly before, uh, you confess Christ, something didn't take root in you yet. And you need to really go back and seek Christ. Because you should begin to think about God. You should begin to begin uh, concerned about serving Him. And you should be moving into this unseen world of reality, uh, of the things of God. Amen? And so... Um, what Paul's kind of getting at here it, it, with the Christian church is that, you know what? Sin should not be your slave master anymore as a follower of Jesus Christ. Immorality shouldn't govern your life. Now, he's, even if something is permissible and there's no sin label associated with it, you still need to ask the question, is this the most beneficial thing I could do? Paul's trying to establish a mindset in us. You getting this? 
to do life on purpose, to, to, to do life the best you can do it, to the glory of God, not just to do life and do a bunch of good things, but to do life in such a way that exalts God and, and, and you're using your time wisely. And if a good thing becomes a main thing, then that thing needs to go away because it's displacing the primary spot of Jesus Christ. Here's a litmus test for you. Do you have an activity or something else that really is what you think about? It what relaxes you other than Jesus Christ? I know for me, South Dakota's long winters. How about you? Do you like these long, cold winters? And I find myself liking to watch Sports Center. I'm admitting something to you now. I will go downstairs and I'll tell my wife, I'm going to watch Sports Center, which means I'm going to go down and I'm going to watch sports stuff mindlessly for hours and usually snack. And lately, I've been having a lot of conviction on just watching sports. <laughs> and I'm thinking, nah, it's not necessarily evil. It's not necessarily bad. It's just not all that beneficial. Follow what I'm saying? And it tends to be a little bit enslaving, especially March Madness. Am I hitting home with anybody right now? Because I can watch basketball for hours during this time of the year. And then you have the professional playoffs, and I like to watch them too because then they begin to play defense at that point of the year, and the basketball actually gets kind of good. And so I have to really watch out. I want to leave you with a challenge right away in the middle of this message. I, wanna, I want you to think on this. Right now, think with me. I have this one activity maybe that is a bit enslaving to me. It's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily wrong. But it's what I love, it's what I dream of, it's what I hope for all the time. And I want to do this with you. I want to I give you this challenge. Quit for a season. Something that you're in the habit of doing. Just quit it for a season. When I say for a season, I mean like a month. Just quit doing it. It may not be wrong, but it's not that beneficial. Just quit doing it for a season. Just say, I'm just not going to do this thing so that it doesn't enslave me so that it doesn't control me, all right? Just, I challenge you this way. Let me give you some examples. Just give up desserts for a month. Don't eat any pie. Don't eat any cake. Just try it once. It's not that it's bad. Well, it can be bad. Just give it up. It's not necessarily that beneficial. If you love sports like I love sports, give it up for a month. Just don't watch anything. You don't need to. Everybody will tell you what's going on anyway. Amen? I missed all the tournament this year because we were on vacation. So I got home last night and I, I got to see the North Carolina game. It's the only game I've gotten to watch other than SDSU. I watched the first game, the men and SDSU, and I haven't watched anything since then because we went on vacation. God's good. Amen? I'm still alive, still doing good. If you were Paul and you were dealing with a bunch of people like he was in the Corinthian church that were into liberty and license and rationalization, good at finding loopholes, what would be your tendency? 
If you were writing to them, what would you say? I think the tendency is to say, man, you people are out of control. You're taking all these liberties you ought not to take. I'm going to make some rules and policies for you to follow. Amen? I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to give you some guidelines. That's kind of our natural default uh, kind of mode when it comes to uh, behavior that we're trying to correct. We have lots of rules in Brookings. I remember the, the day here, was a few years ago, where the orange lip, uh, sticker magically appeared on my garbage can. Any of you remember that day? Garbage can must be pulled in the house within 24 hours of pickup or you will be fined. I remember reading that going, happy day. I got a rule. I got a policy. Some administrator decided there was a problem. Now we're all going to have orange stickers on our garbage cans. Really bugged the snot out of me, I'm going to be honest with you. Still does. Paul didn't write to the Corinthian church, you all are out of control. I'm going to give you some rules and policies to follow here. Because he knew this, a rule never changed the heart ever, amen? And if these guys are masterful already at finding loopholes and rationalizing away what already had been given to them, guess what they would do with a new rule? They'd rationalize it away, they'd find a loophole. Instead, what Paul is trying to do to them is give them a maximizing principle. He's not giving them rules. He's saying, listen, you need to have an attitude change. You need to have a heart change. And here's, here's what I think Paul is really getting at, and I got it as a point here for you in your note-taking guide under maximizing principle. Here's what he's trying to get them to do is to have this kind uh, of a mindset. I will seek to do what is God's best for me. I will seek to do what is God's best for me. And it's obvious that God's best for me isn't continuing to live in a sinful lifestyle. Okay, we'll throw that one out. We know that's a given. And we know that if, if an activity, even though it's good, becomes something that enslaves me, well, we probably should throw that one out too. But what I want to do with you on the majority of the morning is talk about how to retool, reinvent your life. How to do activities in such a way that you maximize them for the glory of Jesus Christ. I think we have to be willing to let God reinvent a little bit how we do life. We're, we're to live life in what I call in a redemptive mindset. And I, I do this by taking my activities that I'm doing through two simple questions. Now, when I talk about activities, I'm talking about cooking, exercising, schoolwork, your job, relationships, parenting, sports, work, recreation, lawn care, fishing, biking. How do we do these things so that they're done with a redemptive kind of approach, maximizing our walk in Jesus Christ? I put these kind of activities through two questions. Now, I'm going to admit, sometimes it's a stretch to get this to work, but it's helpful. First question I ask is this. What can blank build into my spiritual life? What can this activity do? How can it build into my spiritual life? It's March Madness time, so I'm going to use basketball. I played basketball for lots of years. So I would ask myself if I was still playing basketball. I haven't played since I moved here. I'm too old. It hurts my knees way too much. What can basketball build into my spiritual life? 
It's not that as a follower of God, I have to give up all these activities. I have to change how I do these activities, okay? Are you getting this? This is what I think part of the mindset Paul's trying to establish in us. Well, basketball is a wonderful team sport. It really is. And no matter how many stars you have, you're not going to go very far in any kind of tournament unless you have about seven or eight good players that know how to play together. It's a team sport. It teaches you roles. It teaches you the value of other people because... So you got three good shooters. If you can't get a rebound, you won't win. Rebounders are really important. I had a, a fellow I played with, his name was Pete Peterson. He's 6'11". He could touch his elbow on the rim. He was a good rebounder. I was a short little six-foot guard. I remember how often I told Pete, thank you for rebounding. His contribution was super valuable to our team. We couldn't win if Pete didn't block his guy out and get lots of rebounds. And, and so if you can begin to look at a sport like basketball and begin to see the value of other people and begin to understand roles and all that, you know what that's, hap- that's doing for you? you you're going to begin to see that in the body of Christ. All of you are very different. We all have roles that are incredibly important. None of you are on the bench when it comes to the kingdom of God. We all have a role. We're all a value. We all have a contribution to make. We're on a team. We have things to contribute. We have gifts and talents and, and time to contribute to the kingdom and advancement of God. And, and basketball can teach you some of that. It can be redemptive that way. If you have kids in sports, use it this way. It's not about your kid being a star. It's about them beginning to understand some principles of relationship and valuing other people. That's being redemptive in that activity. You know what else basketball taught me? It's a risk sport. You have to take a risk to take a shot. When you're little, you're happy to catch iron. As you get older, your shot gets better. Why does your shot get better? What have you done? You've practiced thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. You get muscle memory. The risk is less, but it's still a risk to take a shot. Guess what we need to be understanding about Christianity? There's a lot of risk involved with Christianity. We need to take shots. I remember when I first began to really follow Jesus Christ as a young man, I determined I would always tell the truth when people would ask me, What's the most important thing in your life, which they often do when, when you're having interviews for jobs? I would say my relationship with Christ. And I remember the first time I did that, I was sitting in there having an interview uh, for a promotion, and my uh, manager said, okay, what's the most important thing to you? See, what makes you tick as a person? I begin to sweat profusely. You ever done that where you can feel it in your armpits, dripping? It was dripping from there down to my waist. I could feel it. I go, oh. and, and I remember saying, well, it's kind of a wide open question, but the most important thing to me is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And he goes, oh, I could see right away. That wasn't the answer he expected. But as I begin to tell the truth like that more and more and more, and take that risk, guess what? It got easier. It got more like muscle memory. I just did it. And, and, and so if you can take the sport and use that 
risk-taking to learn that kind of lesson you can transfer over to your Christianity. That's being redemptive, okay? We're to be redemptive in how we approach our activities and what we do. So, first question is, how can this build into my spiritual life? Second question is, how can whatever the activity is benefit others? How can this benefit others? Let's use basketball again. How can I benefit others as I participate in basketball? Well, I can step out of my own ego, my own concerns, my own stats, my own numbers, and I can begin to really care about other players on the team. I can begin to encourage them. I can begin to see them and value them and and speak into their lives. By the way, I've just described to you good leadership. If you want to be a leader, if you aspire to influence other people, the first thing you have to do is forget about yourself. And you really have to genuinely be concerned about other people. Otherwise, you'll never be a good leader. If it's about you, you'll never be a good leader. So really what Paul's doing here is giving us an approach to life. Ask the question, what's best for my life? How do I honor God most? Ask these questions. How does this build into my spiritual life? How do I build into the lives of those around us? We just need to do things differently. You don't quit life and you don't go to a monastery to be spiritual. You begin to be redemptive in how you do your life. You getting this? This seems obvious, but it's not done very much. Now, Paul, the ever-practical ever teacher, moved from the principle, what, uh, the question is, what is best um, for you to a very real Corinthian situation? He quoted another one of their little favorite sayings, food for the stomach is stomach for the food. Now, what they meant by that was, is that uh, these biological urges, they're not spiritual. Sexual urges, they're not spiritual. You just, it's like eating food. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Uh, so they, their logic went something like this. Uh, I have a sexual need. I have a biological need. I just fulfill that need. No big deal. It's like eating a hamburger at Nick's. doesn't affect me spiritually. So physical activities like, like, like sex, they thought had no impact on their spiritual life. Um, Paul says, wrong, wrong answer. No, that's not correct at all. And so... If they would have just brought it through my two-question little quiz, they would have seen right away, yeah, sexual promiscuity probably isn't a good thing. Let me, let me walk you through that. You could uh, ask, how can sexual freedom in my life build into my spiritual life? Does it build into my spiritual life to be sexually free, to be promiscuous? Does it help me to worship my Creator? Does it cause me to look more like Jesus? Does it make my thoughts go high? What does it feed in me? It feeds lust. It feeds physical appetites. It teaches you to let your biology control you as a person. It teaches you to be a slave to your sex drive. It does everything contrary to building up your spiritual life. Secondly, how does it affect other people? It leaves a trail of wounded individuals, of intimacy that's inappropriate. You ask those two questions and you, you already say, well, sexual promiscuity isn't a good thing. You know what we do as Christians, right? We, 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 we hear this license kind of thing in culture because we have the same thing going on in our culture as Corinthians, right? If you listen to culture closely, they'll say, sex is nothing more than what? A biological urge that needs to be satisfied. Just be safe, use protection. 
right? It's just not, am I being too blunt or do you not even care about any of this this morning? We have the exact same thing being said in our culture. And you know what we do then? We get afraid of the topic matter. And we go, sex, bad, 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 bad. And we want to make rules. Don't do that. And we don't want to talk about it. And you know what happens? It's fun. People enjoy it. They go and they have the experience to say, well, this wasn't bad. This was fun. But is it best for you? And what's the consequences of all of it? What's it doing to your spirit? What's it doing to the spirit of the person around you? And we got to put it through this biblical filter and we got to understand, sure, sex is really good. Otherwise, we'd have no babies. And women wouldn't do it more than once and have a baby one time, they'd be done. Because I don't know about you women who've had babies, but after Vicki had our first baby, I thought, that looked quite painful. But I'm not going to, I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to say something stupid. <laughs> I wanted to go on so badly. But we, we look at this kind of barnyard approach to sex and we get all scared about it and we start to say sex is bad. No, sex is good, but it's a context of marriage and covenant. And that intimacy is supposed to be shared between a man and a woman and it's so special and it's so sweet and it's so good. And it oftentimes produces something of, of, of real great intimacy. It's called a child. And the two of you become one. You have a child and you look at that child and you say, that child is her and me or him and I, if you're the woman speaking. And it's just this intimate, great thing. But outside of marriage, if it's left to run on rampage with no control, you get all this woundedness and all this unmet intimacy things going on. And then you have children and you don't know what to do with them, right? You get all these problems. And the sexual freedom was a misinterpretation by the Corinthians of freedom in Jesus Christ. And so, Paul, I'm going to just give you this because he talks about it. I call this a practical application of, of looking at what, what is God's best for me. And we're going to look at the example of sexual immorality like for literally one minute. Sexual immorality comes from the word uh, pornea. means it's sexual activity outside of marriage. And here's what Paul says is wrong with it. It harms the body. It harms the body. Fifteen years ago, I did a little bit of a study on, on this topic matter. And at that time, there were 12 million cases reported of sexually transferred disease. I would be afraid to be sexually promiscuous because I'm going to catch something. Now, I'm a little bit of a germophobia. I don't know about you people. I just thought, oh, I don't want that. Any of you watch the movie Contagion? Nope, that one hit home. <laughs> Two people. It's about this spread of this virus that kills off half most of the world population. Anyway, if I have to explain it, it doesn't work. Um, so we're going to go on. Sexual immorality controls the person. It enslaves the person. That's the problem with it, too. Paul teaches here in 1 Corinthians 6, we're not to be enslaved by anything. Sexual immorality enslaves. Romans 6 says you're a slave to the thing you obey. All kinds of things enslave us. Food, sex, TV, what others think of me, drugs, right? This last week, as we're finishing our vacation, we ended up at Liz and Bruce's house in Lincoln, Nebraska there. And Bruce has set up a little uh, BB course in his acreage. 
BB gun shooting course. He's got cans hanging all over. And you go through the course and you shoot these things, you know. And so he had to bring me through, a, and we had to shoot the BB gun and all that. I haven't shot a BB gun in probably 25, 30 years. And I remember I hit the first can. Clink, he says, you're shooting left hand. I said, yeah, I'm left eye. you got to shoot left handed. I missed the second one. I didn't shoot after that. You know why? Because I was one for two. I didn't want to be one for three. And so I just quit while I was ahead. But that reminded me of a, of a, of a story here. Uh, I shared this a while back at, 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 at Grace Point, but I'm going to share it again. It's about a little boy whose grandma gave him a slingshot. And he and his sister were visiting grandma and grandpa. And so he was shooting his slingshot at the target, right, and missing the target all over and over again. So on his way back to the house, he's a little frustrated. He sees grandma's pet duck over there, and he lets the slingshot go. Of course, he nails the duck in the head and kills it. The only thing he hit. Horrified, he grabs a dead duck, throws it behind a woodpile, only to turn and see Sally, his sister, staring at him. This can't be good, right? So little Johnny, that's the name of the little boy, and Sally, uh, go into the house, and, and Grandma says to Sally, hey, Sally, uh, would you do the dishes for me, please? And Sally says, I, I think that Johnny wants to do the dishes. And she whispers over to her brother, remember the duck. And so he does the dishes. The next day, Grandpa says to little Johnny and Sally, hey, let's go out into the farm. We're going to do some things today. And, and Grandma says, I, I really want Sally to stay behind and help me prepare lunch. And Sally says, I think, I think Johnny wants to do that. And she whispers over to her brother, remember the dead duck. And this went on for several days of, of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's chores. Finally, Johnny couldn't take it anymore. And he confessed to his grandma, I killed your duck. She says, I know, I saw the whole thing out the window. <laughs> and I, I forgave you already, sweetheart. I was just waiting to see how long uh, you would take your sister's enslavement. We are not to be mastered by anything. And, 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 and sexual immorality is a, a slaving instrument, like Sally was to Johnny. All right. Lastly, um, sexual immorality defrauds the person. It deceives and rips you off. You become less of what you are, and you treat people other than yourself less than what they are and less than what God's purposes are uh, for their lives. Um, I'm going to get to the end of this because I want to finish up, so you can read Proverbs 5 for yourself. It just kind of uh, is instructive on this whole idea of, of, of what... Uh, sexual immorality does to you and how enslaving it is. Um, sex, though, I'm going to just declare this to you. Sex is not like Nick's hamburgers. Amen? It's not the same thing. It's not on the same level. Sex is a special gift God gives to a couple when they're married. The two become one. There's this intimacy. There's this joining together. You, you, you literally become one when you have a child. It's this wonderful gift of God not to be minimized and not to be uh, degraded down to just a biological uh, satisfying of some urge. We need to seek God's best for our lives. Now, I want to just end by encouraging you to embrace the best way. And Paul uh, gives some hints to how to do that. And let me just share some thoughts with you very quickly. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit then. You are so special to God. You realize that? You are unique. God loves you. He's given you gifts and talents. He's your, you're his cherished child. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Never see yourself less than that. Secondly, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Your freedom 
from sin came at a great price, the, the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, honor God then with your body. Honor God with your body. Always ask the question, what is God's best? What is God's best? Be redemptive in how you do your life. Look at activities. You could still have your kids in sports. You could still have your kids in band. And you could still do competitions with your kids. Please, parents, please teach them to be redemptive from the time they're little. It's not about winning. It's not about being the number one person and all that kind of thing. It's about understanding team. It's about understanding risk. It's about getting to the redemptive side of sport. Sport's great. I love sport. If you play anything with me, especially when I was younger, I am very competitive. There's nothing wrong with being competitive. Amen? Amen? Boy, some of you are going, I don't know. Yes, let your little boys be competitive. And your girls too. But teach them how to direct that in a way that it honors God. Play hard, leave it all on the court, and walk away. It's just a game. Amen? It doesn't determine who you are. It's not a worth-setting thing. It's sport. Play it like a sport. Teach them to value their teammates. Teach them to take risks. Teach the biblical lessons associated with all that. Instruct them. Use as a redemptive tool. Live life differently. When I went to the mountains out there in Utah, God is so good. You see the glory of God. You see the color of those things. You just walk from one thing to another, and I'm going, by the end of this trip, I'm going, whoa, my view of God is blown up. It's bigger. Use recreation as a redemptive tool. Amen? Don't just recreate. Recreate. Rebuild in Jesus Christ. I need to quit. I'm just going on and on and on. All right. I love you guys. Thanks for being patient with me. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the series of Becoming the Body. I just pray it helps somebody. I've been challenged in my own walk with you, Jesus. I pray that the people of Grace Point would love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray that they would be risk takers in you. I pray that they would be redemptive people that they would do house chores in a redemptive way, that they would do yard work in a redemptive way, that they would do work and school work in a redemptive way. Lord, I just pray that we become people who understand that you're in this thing that we call life, and we want to live it for your glory and for your purposes, Jesus. Would you bless the people of Grace Point? And I pray we go out into our community, and we'd be light and salt to a community far gone. I pray that we would just love you out loud, Jesus, and without any shame. I pray that you would just anoint people here, give them divine appointments. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us, that you would equip us, and that we would be on fire for you. Now as we sing this song, may we do so uh, for your glory, Jesus. Amen.